episode number four. Welcome to the Higher Life Podcast, lessons from authentic Judaism. Get the inspiration you need for personal growth. Hosted by Rabbi Mitterhoff. Shalom, this is Rabbi Eliyahu Mitterhoff with another episode of the Higher Life Podcast. Based on the suggestion of one of my colleagues, I'm going to try to change the format a little bit and try to make this podcast more accessible to more people by not quoting all my sources and going inside of all the text. At the end, I may bring my proofs, but a lot of the things I'm going to say are just coming from the text. I'm not going to quote the text directly inside, but make it more of a conversation level so that everyone can understand. Now, in this week's Torah portion, we are speaking still about the building of the Mishkan, the temple where God dwelled in the desert. And we're going into all the details of the different kalim, the different instruments that were used inside of the Mishkan. And the clothes that the Kohanim, the priests, used to have to wear. So I want to give some background information. Basically, according to Judaism, we know that the world was created from the blueprint we call the Torah. In other words, the Torah was written first, and God created the world from that Torah. So when we learn Torah, we're learning the blueprint of reality. We also know that if the Jews did not accept upon themselves the Torah, the Torah would have gone back to what's called Tovavohu. It would have gone back into nothingness. Because since the whole world is created from the Torah, and the whole purpose of the world is for us to keep the Torah, without that, the world has no meaning, and it would just go back into obliviation. Now, God chose Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe our teacher, to receive the Torah and hand over the Torah. He was the spiritual conduit through which the Torah, the light of the Torah, would come into this world. We also know this because our rabbis teach us that at his birth, the entire room filled with light. So now Moshe, who is filled with the presence of God, is now commanded to build a mishkan, which is going to bring God into this world, the connection between the spiritual and the physical. For example, we know for a fact that the Kohen Gadol, when he went into the Holy of Holies, he actually became like an angel. The temple itself was a gateway between heaven and earth. When the Kohen Gadol stepped into the Holy of Holies, it was like he stepped out of the physical world and he went into the spiritual world. Our rabbis call him at that point a Malach Hashem, an angel of God. I mean, this is even better than science fiction. Can you imagine? You have a man, he steps into heaven as a man and he becomes an angel. This is what would happen when the Kohen Gadda would go in to the Holy of Holies, the holiest part of the temple, and he would represent the Jewish people and pray for them for their atonement and the continuation of Torah and mitzvahs in this world. I mean, this is like way beyond science fiction, but it's real. I'm going to be switching between the words temple and mishkan because really they were basically the same thing, just in different time periods. The temple was in Yushalayim, and the mishkan was in the Midbar, in the desert. Both, both of them were for the presence of God. Now, the Midrash tells us that the windows in the temple were wide on the outside and narrow towards the inside, which tells us that the light of the world actually came from inside the temple and went out. Not that the sun lit up the world, but the temple was the thing that lit up the world. In other words, once the Jews accepted the Torah and God's presence came into the Jewish people, 
into our presence, into our physical world, through the Mishkan. The Mishkan now became the source of life for all that we know. Now, this is a really mind-blowing idea, but God gave over his energies to the Jewish people that through the fulfillment of the mitzvahs and the sacrifices and the prayers and everything that we're supposed to do, the blessings are supposed to come into the world. In other words, he handed over uh, the destiny of the world into the hands of man, which is a pretty scary idea because we have to live up to that ideal to bring the blessings in the world. Now, this also explains anti-Semitism because the Gentiles come against us because we're not doing our job. And when they blame us for all kinds of things, the reality is it's really true. It is our fault. Because if the Jews really would become the holy nation that they're supposed to be, all the blessings would come into the world. And it really is our fault that the blessings are not coming in. We're not living up to our expectations. So God put into reality the safety valve to protect us from assimilation that we would constantly be persecuted when we don't do our job. Now, strangely enough, we also know that the temple is really just an example of the house of Sarah and Avraham, which means what? We know that God's presence dwelled between Sarah and Avraham, the way they treated each other, the way they lived in holiness, which is the foundation for the Jewish people, Avraham and Sarah. And inside the temple was a menorah, lights, the lechem apanim, the bread, the shulchan, the table. The, the Beis Migdash, the temple itself, was really a representation of a household, of a life, of a Jewish house. And within that Jewish house, depending how we live, we will bring holiness into the world. That's what the temple was about. In its foundations, it was just a copy of the house of Avraham and Sarah. So Rev Chaim Shmuel explains that the foundations of all the Torah and all of the mitzvahs is based on this concept called derech eretz. I like to translate derech eretz to mean respect, human respect. And it was that respect that Avram and Sarah had for each other and that they had for other people that brought the holiness of God into their house. But we can also translate it as human rights, respect for human beings. What brings holiness? What brings light into this world? Why were we given this world? It was handed over to us in order to respect one another. Now, in this week's Torah portion, it explains that the Kohen Gadol had these pomegranates-shaped bells at the bottom of his clothing. And the Ramban explains that these bells were there for Derek Eretz, for respect. That the Kohen Gadol shouldn't enter into the Holy of Holies without announcing himself first. In other words, the bells would make noise that God would become aware as if that the Kohen was coming into the room. And the Gemara Pesachim explains, from there we learn that even in your own house, you're supposed to knock on the door. Why do you have to knock on the door in your own house? It's called being respectful. Maybe there's somebody inside, one of your kids, your wife, who knows who, that they're doing something private and you're barging in on them. That's a lack of human respect. So he explains that the whole Torah and the whole temple were built on human dignity and human respect. Everything that was going on there had to be respectful. He brings another beautiful proof. When Moshe Rabbeinu was commanded to count all the Jewish people, including the babies, he knew that he wasn't able to enter into the tent to figure out. How, so he asked God, how am I going to count all the babies? There's no way. So God said, 
you do your job and I'll do mine. And he went outside the houses and a call, a voice went out and announced how many people there were in the house. But Moshe understood there was no way for him to go into the house. How, that's not called Derek Eretz. That's not called respect. Even though he was commanded to count everybody, including the children, it was clear to him that there was no way that he could go into the house. There are other proofs. For example, Noah didn't leave the ark until God. He waited for God's permission to leave the ark. And Yosef, for example, even though he was going to go into prison for years, didn't want to rip his jacket away from Aishas Potiphar, from the wife of Potiphar. Yosef knew that she was going to use this as evidence that maybe he raped her or who knows what she was going to say. But he still didn't want to rip it out of her hands because he had respect. So you see how this idea of respect, of human rights, of human dignity, is in the foundation of the Jewish people. And we know that all through history, the Jews were always in the forefront of the human rights movements. We know sometimes they go a little bit too far with this stuff and it gets into giving human rights to some kinds of perversions or who knows what, but that's a little bit out of place. But the, but the foundation is human rights, human dignity. So I want to bring down now, which is a very, I think I've mentioned it before, a very, very essential foundation in the Jewish religion, which is called Mahu Afata. Just like you, God, so to us. So we know that man was created as a Selim Elohim. He's in the image of God. Now, what does it mean that he's in the image of God? So the Talmud Devorah explains, he says like this, for the essential aspect of the supernal form to be in the likeness of God, in other words, are the deeds of the Holy One, blessed be he. Therefore, what good is it for a person to reflect the form of God in his physical if his deeds do not imitate those of his creator? In other words, we learn how to act the way that God acts, we're supposed to be like God. Now, what does that mean, we're supposed to be like God? We're supposed to emulate his deeds, his kindness, his patience, his mercy. Religion is about emulating God, learning from God how to act. Rav Yitzhak used to say that my spirituality is your physicality. What do they mean by that? By me taking care of you physically, that's my spirituality. Now, I just want to explain to you what novel idea, what new idea, what we call it a chiddish. What chiddish did I get from this whole story? One thing I understood, what looks like the simplest, smallest act of kindness, is really the highest level of spirituality. By you smiling at someone, by you being nice to someone, by you being polite to someone, is the highest, highest level of spirituality. You're bringing God into the world by doing those acts. And the presence of God, which was in the temple, is a representation of the house of Abraham, a man and his wife, and how they interact with each other, the respect that they have for each other. This is the highest level. This is what brings the pure spirituality light into the world. This is the temple that gives energy to the universe. And this is the essence of Judaism. These small acts between man and his friend and man and his wife, these are the things that keep the world going, that bring blessing into the world. And God forbid the opposite. When man doesn't respect each other, God's running away. And the blessings that should be coming into the world are not coming in. And that's why the world is in such a mess. People think that spirituality is hiding yourself away in a cave or praying all day. It's really the kindness between a man and his wife. It's the respect that you give to your children. Not to barge in on them. Not to walk in the door without knocking. 
This is learned from the temple itself. And if you've ever been around any of the really big rabbis, you'll see this is the character they have. They're kind, they're soft-spoken, they're soft, they're friendly. Look at the Rav Nassan Finkel or Rav Gans or Rav Adas. Unbelievably sweet, sweet people. This is the real spirituality, to be a sweet, nice person, to be a mensch. That's spirituality. It's not somewhere else. It says, Loba Shemaimi. It's not in the heavens, it's in the earth. The point was that the Torah was given from the heavens to the earth, and now everything's backwards. From the earth, everything's coming up. From us, it says, Dama Lamalimcha, know what's above you. So the Ruach Chaim explains, know Dama, know what? Lamala Mimcha, know that what's above you comes from you. Okay, you can't be crazy about it. Everything you're doing is affecting reality. We don't see the reality. But you should know what's happening in your life, what's happening in the world, what's happening in general is coming from us. We're producing it. Now, since God wants to give us free will, he doesn't show us the cause and effect. It's not fast. It's slow. But like I always explain to my kids, if a ship, when it leaves the port, is off by a foot, it's going to wind up in a different country <laughs> if it's pointing in the direct, wrong direction. In other words, we don't see the cause and effect, but it's over years, it's over time. It makes a difference in your life. The way you acted, it could ha- take 10 years. You're going to come out in a different place. So even though you don't perceive the good or the bad, you don't see where it's going per se, but you know over a long time it's affecting, it's a fact. The way we act, the way we behave is affecting the world, it's affecting our personal lives, it's affecting the blessings that we have in our lives or the bad things that are happening in our lives. It's all based on us. We are responsible. So the bottom line is respect, human dignity, And human rights are the things that are bringing the real blessings into the world. Or God forbid the opposite. It's time for Great Stories About Great Rabbis. So I'd just like to tell over a story here about Rav Baruch Ber Leibowitz, the great Rosh Hashiva, the Kamenetzer Rosh Hashiva. It says like this. So someone once asked the Baruch Ber what he dreams about. He says, what do you mean? I go to sleep thinking about the Rambam, and I wake up thinking about the Rambam. What can I possibly dream about? Either an explanation of the Rambam or, an exp- or, a, or a question on it. You see how involved in learning he was. So this is a great story. It says like this. He was known to stay up very late learning. I mean, to 2, 3 in the morning. So one night he's in his house, and what happens is he hears somebody out the door at 2 o'clock in the morning. Then all of a sudden he hears a knock. He starts to get scared. You know, you can imagine in the middle of Russia with the programs going on, and there gets a knock at his door at 2 o'clock in the morning. But not only that, but it's a blizzard outside. Someone is outside of his house at 2 o'clock in the morning, knocking on the door in the middle of a blizzard. So he hears outside of his door, Don't worry, Rebbe, I just need to tell you something. So he opens up his door, and it's a shivering Rabbi Yaakov David Woloski, the Rav of Slutsk. He lets him into the door, he brings him up, warms him up, he has some tea. So he explains to him, what's why you why you came two o'clock in the morning? It's freezing outside. So he says, I was working on a problem that I had for 40 years and I finally solved it. I was so excited. I thought to myself, who can I possibly go tell who's going to appreciate what I have to say? And I knew that the Rav would be up at two o'clock in the morning. So I came over to tell the Rav the answer to my question. Well, I guess it was really a story of two great rabbis. 
But this story is a little bit close to my heart because my grandfather went into business with the grandson of the Ritvas. They were in business for many years together. And now, Talmudic Logic, learning to think about thinking. Okay, I want to continue now with a little Talmudic logic from the book Dark and Gemara. So he says there that all the text of the written and oral tradition were written with an absolute precision and exactness, and therefore must follow the logic of perfect communication. In other words, we assume that the text was written perfectly. Therefore, if we see anything strange, any kind of imperfections in the text, we have to ask ourselves what's going on here. And that's how we will discover what the text is really saying. He continues and says like this, The fundamental principle of intensive study is to approach the text based on exacting and precise use of language. Therefore, we must strive to clarify the following problems within a text. In other words, since intensive study means in-depth learning is based on the exact and precise use of the language, we're going to now examine these following problems that potentially could have in a text. Here we go. The first thing you have to look for is extra words. If you see any extra words, you have to ask yourself what it's doing there. The second thing is a repetition of the subject matter. If it repeats itself, you have to ask yourself why. The third thing is a lack of a novel idea. Every text in the oral and written tradition has to have a new idea that you couldn't have known before by yourself. It has to be telling you what's called a chiddish, something new. The Torah and the rabbis did not need to speak unless you couldn't figure it out yourself. We're going to get into that in a later piece. The next thing is a change in the language. If you see one time, for example, they called it a barrel, and the next time they called it a pitcher, you have to ask yourself why. The next thing is a change in the law. If you see, obviously, the law said it was permitted or forbidden what happened there. And the last thing is a change in the subject matter. If you see that the text all of a sudden changed subjects, you have to ask yourself why. These are the Sodos, the foundations, to understanding what the text is saying. What's interesting is any break from perfect communication means the text must be telling you something different. And only by noticing that imperfection, you will come to the true understanding of the text. Learn to give, love, and communicate. This is Peace in Your Home. Okay, the last thing I want to speak about is peace in your home. Now, this rule I called keeping your eye on the ball. That means understanding the value of having a good relationship with your spouse. We know through experience that if your marriage is going good, everything's great. But if your relationship is lousy, then everything's lousy. You can have the nicest house, the nicest car, and everything's going good. But if your relationship is lousy, there's nothing there. Therefore, you have to protect the peace in your house with all that you got. In other words, drop the pettiness. Don't argue on small things. Just drop it. A huge fight could come out of the smallest thing. That someone uh, forgot to do this, or they left the coffee on the table. Stupid things that have no meaning. It has no meaning, relatively speaking, to peace in your house. Peace in a house is just too important to allow this small thing to mess it up. That's called keeping your eye on the ball. Now, the other aspect of keeping your eye on the ball is perceiving all the benefits that you're gaining from being married. All the good things that your spouse does for you. A person can write a book entitled, The Positive Things My Spouse Does For Me. 
I mean, if you would start to list all the different things that your husband or wife does for you, it would be an unbelievable list. So the Talmud in Yuvamo's 63a says like this, Rivchia was constantly tormented by his wife. His wife used to drive him crazy. Nevertheless, whenever he obtained anything suitable from the market, he used to wrap it up or bring it home to her. So Rav said to him, wait a second, she's driving you crazy. Rivchia said back, it's sufficient for us that they rear up our children and deliver us from immoral behavior. Being married protects you. That was enough for Rivchia. If you just focus on the benefits that you're gaining from the relationship, it's called keeping your eye on the ball, then you will appreciate what you have. A person has to focus on what's really important and stop being fussy. I'm going to end this off with a joke. One time a man goes back to his rabbi a month after he gets divorced and asks the rabbi if he can marry her again. So the rabbi says, I don't understand. You just divorced her. Why do you want to marry her again? He says, well, she's not so bad for a second wife. (laughs) Okay, that's it for this week's podcast. Please share it with your friends if you gain something from it and leave comments at rabbimentorhoff.com. Thank you for listening. Your voicemail could be featured on the Higher Life Podcast. Just visit rabbimentorhoff.com to ask questions or leave comments.